I offer no disrespect for people who have worked really, really hard to build these places of worship, these sacred spaces that they care so deeply about. But one thing that I believe the pandemic has really taught us is that the building is not the church. We are the church. And so what are we going to do about the world that we live in? Um, There are so many needs in our society and community and within our congregations. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back, everyone, to season two of the Center for Congregations podcast. Hooray! Yay! Welcome back. Welcome back. We are so glad that you all have stuck around and are joining us for season two. There was a point at which we weren't even sure we'd get through one season. And so the fact that we're here for a second one is really exciting, really encouraging, and even more exciting to me, Matt. I don't know about you, is the fact that we have more guests lined up than we know what to do with. That's exciting to me. Yeah, I'm really excited for our lineup. It's still shaping up. And yeah, we're finding more guests than we know what to do with, which is a good thing. So I like who we have lined up for the following weeks. It's looking pretty good and uh, we're ready to go. Absolutely. We're kicking off season two with a phenomenal guest. We were joined in episode one by Amy Larimore, who is a friend of the Center for Congregations and a well-known consultant throughout the state of Indiana. She was instrumental in helping create the first PhD program in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric, which was launched at Christian Theological Seminary in 2017. And she does amazing work talking with folks about what it means to steward resources and do strategic planning. So as we move into season two, just congratulations for everyone who's listening, because guess what? You made it. You if you're it. listening to this, you, <laughs> you exist in the world that is 2021, which is amazing that we've gotten through everything that we've gotten through. But in all seriousness, look back on you know what you've accomplished, how far you've come. And I know that a lot of people are looking at this year with trepidation, not knowing what's coming. But, you know, rest assured that you've made it this far, and hopefully we've gone through the most difficult pieces of this, and even though society is going to continue to grow and change because of the pandemic, we're going to make it through. And there's really good creativity in your congregations. You've got good creativity and good people around you, I'm sure, and the center's here to help with that too. So we're going to continue to pay attention to the trends and the changes that are happening and bring guests that will be relevant and helpful and useful to you. So we're very much looking forward to this year as a year where we kind of get our feet back under us and are ready to move forward. But don't forget to take it easy and just relax a bit. New paradigms take a lot of energy and there's a lot of stress with a lot of change. And so just remember to think about self-care for both yourself and the people in your congregation, creating space to breathe and just to be rather than just do, because it's going to be a challenging year this year as well as we try to live into what life is like now in 2021. 
Absolutely. Self-care and rest are critical. And so if your spouse, roommate, or child comes in and wants to know why you are still binge-watching Netflix four hours later, just tell them Matt Burke told you to. He told you to take it easy, and you're just following directions. So, you know, put it all on him. That's right. I've, I've got big shoulders. I can carry it. <laughs> <laughs> the interview today is a little bit lengthy, and so we're actually just going to get out of the way here because Amy just has so many good things to talk about. And we began with talking about fundraising and using funds in congregations, but it really is a wide-ranging conversation that we think you're really going to appreciate the wisdom that we received from her. Today, I am joined by Amy Larimore. Amy is the owner of Allied Solutions, a boutique consulting firm dedicated to capacity building and transformative philanthropy. She also serves as the philanthropic strategist for the PhD program in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric at Christian Theological Seminary. Amy's also a Jesus girl who loves being a wife of 25 years and a mother of three hybrid adults, ages 20, 18, and 16. Thank you for joining us today, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And we also have the director of Satellite Synergy from Southwest Indiana, Wendy McCormick. Wendy, I'm so glad you could join us for this interview today as well. Thanks, Ben. I'm glad to be here too. And as always, my reliable co-host, the director of education here at the Center for Congregations, Matt Burke out of Northeast Indiana. Hey, everybody. So now that we've got the introductions out of the way, let's jump right into the meat of this interview because I think it's going to be a transformative topic. So this morning, today, we are talking about what it means for congregations to use the resources at their disposal in alignment with their mission and vision. Amy and I were dialoguing about this topic. I was envisioning talking about capital, talking about money and fundraising. Those are things that Amy is incredibly well-versed in and what it means for congregations to use their capital wisely and strategically, especially in these trying times socially, but also broadening the conversation to include other resources that congregations have at their disposal that they may not be thinking about as intentionally, especially as it means to be engaged with their community around issues of faith and justice in the day-to-day lives of people. So that's kind of what I imagine this conversation being about. Um, Is there anything you would want to add to that in terms of what resonates or what might not resonate, Amy? I tell you, uh, in the conversations I've been having during these, uh, what I'd like to say, densely layered times, I think our conversation can go just about anywhere. So as we think about the health of congregations and individuals and all the ways that we're navigating during this season, I hope we'll go wherever we need to go. I mean, it's a Friday after all. It is a Friday. Why not? <laughs> See what happens. As we kick off here, Amy, I'm wondering if you can just start out talking about a little bit of of your background and the work that you usually do with advising congregations and I think even nonprofits as well in terms of fundraising and how you have seen your own thinking and strategy around this issue broaden over the last few years as you've been engaging with what's been happening with our society. 
Well, I appreciate that start. I'll tell you that most of my work really anchors on capacity building for congregations and for organizations. And so although there's always a question about diversification of resources and are we fundraising effectively and should we be doing a capital campaign, I don't shy away from those conversations. But I'll tell you, two decades of doing this work, Ben, the reality is that if you don't have the capacity and the strength to do it and to do it well, then raising resources is often the least of the issues. It's the issue that people identify. And it's an area that people often say, um, let's start here. And I tell you, I'm not that popular because I often say um, the issues are far greater than if we have the money. The real question often goes to what is the mission and vision that people are committed to? How are they working to get that ministry work done in a meaningful way? Who are the people who are doing this work? And do we have confidence in how we're going on this journey together? You know, 2020 has been an odd year. And so when, when I think about that, <laughs> Uh, 2020 has been, shall we say, an odd year. And um, as we entered the pandemic, I really had the really the blessed um, seat to engage with congregations across the nation who almost instantaneously called to do more ministry than they had been doing and to do it all outside of the building, the space that they were accustomed to. And I watched the incredible pressure um, that was on these individuals, the redefinition of things like loss and mourning, uh, people who had been trained to simply be present and could not be present in a typical way, but also the excitement of some of the most creative ministry that I've seen literally in my lifetime. I mean, literally, uh, the ways that we were able to engage people and to minister and meet their needs it just blessed me. I also had the reality of knowing that very quickly people were like, ties, offering, capital campaign, pledge season. What are we doing? This idea of how do you raise resources in the middle of a pandemic when people are not physically at the church. All of these things came really full speed ahead as people were really trying to do creative ministry and not in their building, and not using the same rituals and practices. And in my special corner of the world, which is not so special at all, many people were realizing that we were going through a double pandemic, that everybody was not realizing this society experience in the same way. And being able to talk about fundraising and development and resources, I think it's critical, but I think it's only one element or one aspect of what we're called to do in this season. I've been blessed to help people raise resources and to help engage philanthropy in many, many different ways. Um, but I've also been able to watch organizations redefine their work, work with volunteers in a more meaningful way, define their ministry in themselves uh, more creatively than they had done in the past. And I'm grateful uh, both for the work that I've done with religious institutions and with the groups that I've worked with who have been nonprofits in the community on the ground level, getting the work done. So I'm grateful to be here. And it's Friday. You know, it strikes me, Amy, that the idea of capacity uh, takes some unpacking. 
And you may find that as you work with congregations, what do we mean by capacity? We talk about that sometimes at the center. But as you were describing what you've seen in this season, it makes me think that perhaps you have seen and you are celebrating some congregations that discovered that they had capacity they may not have even realized, some creativity capacity to do things they hadn't done before, perhaps in service of their mission. That is so true, Wendy. I would share with you that I work with many churches and congregations, um, but I also have churches and congregations and congregational leaders that are donors to other projects and other programs that I'm a part of. And so in some instances, I would be on a call with pastors and talking about their work in pursuing their own education and working on um, the many layers of their life or family and ministry. And then they would share almost in passing we needed to make sure that a whole community of children had laptops so that they could learn, and that became their immediate urgent need, not for something inside of the church, but making sure that children in their community had the resources to be able to learn and learn well. Um, I really, in some ways, fear that we have not even scratched the surface of the impact of disparities in our communities and what that will mean post-pandemic. Early in this season, I would have thought post-pandemic, I was really hopeful that the end of this year would look so much different than it looked in March and April. And now I really put on a seatbelt and take a deep breath. I don't know what post-pandemic will look like. Um, I just know that we're grateful to be alive and grateful to be able to do the work that we love. But I see congregations who have really started answering generative questions, much different questions than they would have been answering a year ago about engaging volunteers, about outreach to their neighborhood. Who is their neighbor? What does it look like to go through transition? Uh, Wendy, the number of people that I know have been navigating an interim pastor or calling a pastor, even in the midst of the pandemic, I really tell you that my heart goes out to people who are navigating church relationship during the season, both coming into relationship with the church and congregation or evaluating whether or not they're in a good fit for their own personal needs. Um, I've seen transition show up in many different ways, and I think so many people have something to be really proud of. I've watched pastors put on their mask and go to seniors who could not navigate the technology simply to go stand at their door and not open the door just to lay eyes on individuals. I mean, my my emotions are full um, when I think about, you know, my early coffee addiction, being able to go to my favorite coffee shops. What I did not have to navigate was the reality of not seeing another human and not being able to see someone directly. And so watching individuals understand that ministry sometimes was not a sermon or a song, but simply being able to stand at somebody's front porch so that they would know that someone cares about them. I promise you, I don't know how we got here, but if you want me to talk about innovation and ministry, um, I've seen people working really hard during this time to lean into the capacity necessary during this pandemic. So powerful. And it makes me wonder if the typical congregation leader you're describing even gives himself or herself the credit for that and for what a huge thing that is, or if maybe they just say, 
yeah, I need to get back to the fundraising as soon as I can, but right now I have to do this. And really what you're describing is a tremendous gift, a tremendous outpouring of a kind of a resource that people may not even give themselves credit for. Well, Wendy, I think it really is that um, individuals are working so hard during the season that they may not be giving themselves credit. But I also believe that we're really judgmental people. And I think we don't give people credit a lot. Um, This idea of working from home, uh, you know, I'm a consultant. I've been independent um, for a while. And I know that my peers who are independent talk about the struggle. It's no longer working at home. It's living at work. I mean, we're literally operating 24 hours a day. And with technology usually being a leverager and a tool, it really for many has become a nemesis in the fact that there is no separation within our lives. When I think about pastors and clergy and people in my immediate circle, many of them were doing all of the demands of ministry alongside homeschooling their children. And so we didn't even think about the fact that They're now having personal academies for kindergarten through 12th grade, in addition to the ministry that they're doing. Certainly, that's not every one situation or circumstance, but I think in addition to not really giving themselves credit, we didn't really take enough stock of all of the innovation and ministry that was happening. I'll tell you, I'm not a singer. You won't get me singing on this podcast, um, but I have a great appreciation for worship. What happens when you can't sing freely with people who have put so much stock effort and so much personal attachment to the ways that music was delivered for someone who just really that has not been what has traditionally been my mode of worship necessity I have been so awestruck by the ways that people have figured it out. When I see a choir and 20 boxes are coming on screen, I stop. I know something good is about to happen. And I would not have appreciated that just a year ago. You know me, Wendy, we've known each other for a long time. I believe in gratitude and I believe in appreciation. But I think in the midst of everything that's going on, and we take for granted that people are doing well some days simply to wake up and get through the day. Um, that with all the demands of creativity and innovation and ministry and resources and raising new resources and sustaining resources, I appreciate all of those things. But my biggest question lately has been, how are you, sis? Are you okay? How are you, friend? How are you doing? I know people who are doing amazing work, but really are not taking any time for personal care. And that includes many of our pastors, congregational leaders, and frankly, lay leaders who have tried very, very hard to make sure that nobody was missed during this season. That's an important thing to note. We had a guest on Dr. Hillary McBride a few weeks ago talk about the importance of self-care and mental health. So for listeners that are interested in that, go back and check out episode three of this podcast and and she'll talk more about that as well as some practices to help you engage your own self-care. I'm wondering, we've talked about congregational leaders that 
have found ways to be innovative, that have begun asking some of these deeper questions of what it means to really engage both their congregants and community. Can you speak to those that might still find themselves a bit in the muck, that don't really even know what questions to start asking, don't really even know how to evaluate what they have or don't have at their disposal? What word might you offer those that still feel a bit stuck in in trying to adapt to the unique challenges of this densely layered time? So I think, Ben, you bring up a great point, Um, whether it is a canceled campaign or mission drift or preaching that has been in a bit of a pause mode during the season. Not everyone is thriving. I think we tend to celebrate lift up and focus on uh, the things that we see people doing well. One of the areas that concerns me is that I think some people thought, well, this will pass quickly. And so we don't have to really do a lot. We just have to make it through. Or for individuals who were accustomed to having a slow summer or summer slump, they just thought, well, if we just make it through, we'll go back to normal. I said to myself quietly, I don't know what the new normal will be. But this idea of just returning to what people were used to, I don't see that happening. Unfortunately, Ben, I've also witnessed individuals who have not been willing to adjust and adapt, Um, people who really rushed to go back in person, uh, not because that was the demand of the people, but because it was the only thing that they knew. And because it's what they knew, that's what they tended to go towards. I have looked at um, really the hot topic and And I try to get on the balcony and take a step back of how people have been navigating politics and faith and what comes up and out at the pulpit. And I think in any event, 2020 would have been an odd year. Uh, But when you lay on the impact of the pandemic and people dealing with topics that they weren't well-versed on or did not have any experience with. I think some people have been a proverbial deer in headlights and not really clear that their leadership also impacts all the people who have been relying on them for faith and direction and for a word each week about how to navigate the difficulties of this season and this life. And I think that some people have struggled to realize that the needs of our communities are really speaking quite loudly, not because these needs are so different than they were a year, two, or five ago. It's simply with a slowing down of society and visual documentation, people are seeing things differently and having to make a decision and a choice about how they'll address that within their ministry lives. And I slow down a little bit because I think we can take for granted not everyone has programs to meet the needs of the people they serve. Not everyone has a theological word each week that helps people to navigate the difficulties of this time. Not every member found a way to give, even during difficult times. Many people reevaluated what was most important. And many people have been impacted by the economy in ways that we have not really thought through. And so while there are great innovation and great success, I also pray deeply because not everyone has had that experience. 
Yeah. And Amy, going back to something you said earlier on, I'm curious because I think it potentially could be helpful for the dramatic changes that we're going to encounter potentially for years to come. You mentioned that when you engage with folks, sometimes it seems like what's on top of mind for them is, is fundraising. You know, we need more finances, but you said that may not be the issue. That may not really be what's at stake or what the problem is. In your 20 years of experience, what have you seen as things that are foundational that come before or undergird thoughts about finance and thoughts about sustainability for congregations? So let's start with mission and vision, really what people are committed to do. There's usually a experience that I have with different boards and different groups where we'll be working on strategic planning and I'll have everyone in a room and I'll give people a blank sheet of paper. And on Zoom, you simply say, without the help of your technology or devices, share your current mission and the silence that comes over individuals, whether it be a church, a ministry, a congregation, a nonprofit group, the fact that people are not clear what they're in the business to do. Before you think about diversification of funding and raising more resources and a capital campaign, the question I often ask is money for what? Resources for what? What are we committed to do? I often ask the question, how will life be different or how will it be better? What impact will happen three to five years from now because of what we're doing today? That question is not solely tied to finance. If you're not making it a priority, if it's not one of the top three things that you're doing in your work, your ministry, your life, then we won't see the impact that people are looking to achieve. Please know that I don't take sustainability for granted. I really don't. But the reality is um, the lack of succession planning, the lack of thought about what leaders are coming next, the lack of cultivation of future leadership, all of those things impact me far more than financial resources. I've been a part of several groups who have gone forward with capital campaigns during this season because their donor base that they knew really well had not been impacted by the economic changes that have impacted so many lives. So on one side, I say, really, with great gratitude and appreciation, I offer thanks to the number of people who continue to offer financial resources to give and to give generously to support mission and vision. But I would also say, as we think about understanding capacity, when I think about capacity and capacity building, uh, the tendency is to focus on raising resources. I have spent a lot of time working with people around the idea of what do you understand about mission and vision? Are you able to even articulate what you're in the business to do? I'm surprised by the number of people who are often on a much different page within the same organization about what are the key priorities. I think deeply about leadership and succession planning. If you ask me for a top issue, I would say the world is filled with people talking about raising money more effectively. How are we growing the next generation of leaders? What does it look like to deal with succession planning 
in meaningful ways? How do we diversify the people who are around the table, at the table, um, looking to even have a word of wisdom in that environment? Because I think about what the leadership lens will look like as we just look out just a few years. When we think about infrastructure and systems, the number of people who want to raise money, who really struggle to send out thank you notes, is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. If we don't have the data to thank you and thank you well, or thank you in the way that is most meaningful to you, how is it we can manage to keep asking for more resources? I really think some of it becomes very practical in the busy of our lives. I think we think doing more makes us more impactful. Adding more things to the to-do list helps to make us more productive. And I think in congregations and ministries, sometimes what we really miss are the opportunities to dig deep and impact of a life and not simply to amass more numbers. I tell you, I love a big, a big service with filled pews. That's one way that I worship. But in the small, quiet and still, um, I also I know that the pandemic has reminded me of my ability to be able to worship at home. What does it look like to worship as an individual of one, being able to deal with the differences and distinctions of what does it mean to change and navigate with a changing environment? When I think about the capacity of many of our organizations, uh, many people have been doing business in one way consistently for many, many years. And the people around them have become accustomed to doing business or doing ministry in one set of ways. And I think capacity means that you're also able to be agile, able to move, able to adjust to whatever the seasons bring. And that's really not because of our wherewithal. I think it means really being able to listen to God And some days I worry about how much listening we can do with all the things that are going on. I think it takes a fair amount of discipline to be able to listen and to listen well. Amy, I love what you say about mission and vision and how that has to ground not only raising resources, but also raising leaders. It's very telling the example you gave of asking a Zoom room full of people to articulate the mission and vision, the purpose, the why are we here, what is the money for, and how sometimes you get crickets. Crickets or 20 different answers. Yeah. Or sometimes we hear people offering something that's really canned, a mission statement that was written a long time ago or a Bible verse, and they can't unpack what it really means. So when you say money for what, it's hard to answer the question. Now you say with a unified answer. But it also occurs to me because I talk sometimes with congregations that say they want to lift up young leaders and invite young leaders into leadership. But just like it's hard to answer money for what, leadership for what? Well, to keep our church going. That doesn't inspire. That's not a mission. Oh, Wendy, (laughs) it's been so long. I tell you, I love beautiful stained glass windows. No, I really love them. I grew up in Northwest Ohio in Toledo, glass capital of the world. I can tell you a beautiful stained glass window um, will get me every time. But if all we do is stay in existence for 
the buildings that we've created. How is that fulfilling God's mission and vision? I offer no disrespect for people who have worked really, really hard to build these places of worship, these sacred spaces that they care so deeply about. But one thing that I believe the pandemic has really taught us is that the building is not the church. We are the church. And so what are we going to do about the world that we live in? Um, there are so many needs in our society and community and within our congregations. I think that this time is also illuminated that we may have not fully understood all the needs inside our churches as well as inside our communities and our neighborhoods. People on the pew that see you every week and you wave, but you have no idea what they're really going through. This really nice church orientation, I think some of that has been disrupted. And so when we say money for what, mission to do what, people to lead where, I'm not being facetious. I'm really trying to help people to understand. We have to ask different questions. I really give all credit to Bill and right into Heifetz for this idea of getting on the balcony, right? Bill Enright, as a tremendous uh, leader and mentor, would often say, let's go and really just think about the work that we're doing and take a step back from actually writing curriculum and training around fundraising to really think about why we're doing this work. The Heifetz leadership, uh, adaptive leadership paradigm of being able to get on the balcony and get away from the day-to-day of the work to really look at the overall situation is something that I think was really telling when the pandemic started, that people just started scurrying, really, in my observation, scurrying to how do we replace our traditional church service. Many people shared with me, we weren't doing Bible study that well when it wasn't the pandemic. Mm. We weren't doing trainings that well before this happened. I started a renegade Sunday school class because I started wondering about the littles and because I really love little people. And so many of my friends and colleagues have children much younger than my hybrid adults. And so I started doing a Zoom Sunday school class for about 12 weeks, but it was really only out of frustration. I said, all these churches are moving. Who's thinking about the kids? And I felt like God asked me, well, what are you doing about it? How many of us have questions about people who are not being served or ministries that are not working and never ask ourselves the question, well, if this is so important, what are you doing? And so, Wendy, you know, I started pulling out my clay pots and my painting supplies and driving by to neighborhoods and dropping off supply kits. Um, There isn't a Sunday school craft that I don't love. And I really did it because I felt like God said directly, well, what are you doing about it? There are so many challenges we face in our communities, in our society, in our ministry. And I think we don't ask the question, well, what are we actually doing about it? And that sometimes has very little 
to do with keeping our buildings. I love that word scurrying. It just is so evocative for me of what the immediate response to the pandemic was. Everybody was scurrying and we at the center were scurrying to help congregations in their scurrying. And here we are all these months later. And as you alluded to earlier, and Matt and Ben mentioned our earlier podcast about this, people are exhausted and burning out and finding out that we can't, we were ready to scurry for a season and it's going to be longer than that. And so now, you know, I hear you saying, take a step back and really think and look and dig into what is God's call and what is the mission and then ask, what can I purposefully do? What can we purposefully do? And maybe God willing, that is less scurrying even. The idea of being less busy and how we understand being less busy. Uh, Wendy, I don't say it without clarity that it's really difficult for people to say no and take a step back. My feedback is usually how can we find our sacred no? It's really just a message to myself. The number of times where I'm up early or up late trying to do something where I thought there was no reason that you should have accepted this, given everything that's going on in your life. This makes no sense. And you've heard me reference that I'm raising hybrid adults. We have an orienting during this season um, that we worship together in our living room and come together for service. And there's been uh, many varieties of ways that that has shown up for us. And I know one Sunday I was up and I had made coffee and I came into the family room and I was frustrated, but a little passive aggressive. So I didn't wake people up. I was just frustrated that people had not come down to worship and to watch the sermon. And I think I asked my youngest son, you know, what was with you today? And he said politely, I'm tired. This is not a lack of love of God. This is not a disrespect of you. He simply said, I'm tired. And the reality is the service is recorded. He could play the service at any time. It was just that he was tired. Wendy, I wonder about how often we just tell the truth. I was tired too. There was nothing high holy in that moment. I was going through the ritual of getting up, making my coffee, turning on the TV, picking my service, all the things that I thought good Christians should do, uh, trying to make sure that we were keeping up with what I believe is important. But rest is also important. Authentic relationship is important. I mean, that kiddo is probably my most spiritual kiddo. And I'm harassing him because of, you know, a 10 o'clock wake up on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. The reality is that we have to be able to learn and grow. And so for me, even as a parent, I have had to take a step back in this idea that everything can operate exactly as planned. His willingness to just tell me the truth reminded me of just what's more important. And what's more important to me is that you have a relationship with God, not that you scurry down to the couch at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Although I appreciate worship with my family, 
I also want to be the person that really shapes personal relationship with God and not simply going through the motions. I think there's an opportunity for us to grow, Wendy. At least that's my hope. Thank you. So Amy, as we come towards the end of our time here, just to finish out, there are just a lot of people, I think, listening to this who are tired, who are discouraged, who are just encountering so many challenges. What words of encouragement would you offer? What opportunities do you see for us to to come together as congregational communities and to get through this difficult time? I think that that is such a beautiful question to end on, especially because I have not spoken directly about fundraising and resource development. I think the way that we are most effective in raising resources is when we understand the alignment of relationship and mission and vision and trust. And to be authentic during this season, I believe we have to ask the question, how are you? I think we should be asking our fellow church members, our clergy leaders, our donors, how are you? And taking enough time to actually listen to the answer. What I know is that many people have been inspired during this season, not only to give, but to give more, to give more of their time and their resources and their energy and to give more of their special skill sets. But I think we hold those gifts with integrity, that we don't just abuse people when they say that they're willing to help out, but we really try to focus on what type of impact are we making and how does that really help us in the end? I think a genuine thank you and genuine gratitude goes really far. I think understanding and offering grace to individuals The idea of extending unmerited favor, you don't have to explain to me why you missed the call or why the meeting didn't go as expected or why this didn't happen in the way that we thought it would happen. I know that, especially during the layered season that we're in, this idea of hope and inspiration and faith for the future has been really meaningful to me. I don't want to unpack or analyze one more debate or one more speech. Or frankly, I'm a little tired of analyzing issues that have been here for a very long time. Uh, My orientation really is to solutions and strategies and action steps. What are we doing? What are we saying? How are we giving? How are we living out our faith? and not just ritualizing it during this season. That's some great wisdom to end on, Amy. Thank you for sharing that. As congregations, I'm sure, have been listening and wondering who this brilliant person is sharing these insights, I'm wondering if you can talk more about two things. How can people find you and connect with you? And secondarily, why might a congregation or a leader reach out to your consulting agency? What might they be looking for that you might be able to offer them? Can I tell you, you started talking about this brilliant person. I was like, oh, who's he talking about? Wow. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Um, you know, uh, what I would tell you is that I am a really happy realist. 
I don't promise that things will glitter and glow. I started consulting firm over two decades ago in conversation with God about the gift of life that I had been given and motherhood and the reality that I had been a workaholic. So when I talk about not being able to take time and not being able to listen, I'm talking about my personal story, that we have to be more effective in how we do this work. And I I felt like God said, you could do this differently. You could chart a different pathway. And so my work is through Allet, and I'm at www.allet.com. People can always email me at solutions at allet.com, and that's A-L-L-Y-D. Pretty easy if you think about Amy, Lara Moore, and my mother is Lydia, my daughter is Lydia, and the name that goes back for generations in our family is Lydia, and my favorite Bible Shiro is Lydia. So it's really pretty easy when you think about all of that. And I just found out that Wendy also has a Lydia. So all of these things are good things too. Uh, but what I would tell you is that my work is really with clients, uh, both nonprofit, seminary, as well as religious organizations and institutions who are looking to do their work more effectively. I've been blessed for the last three years to be affiliated directly with the PhD in African-American Preaching and Sacred Rhetoric at Christian Theological Seminary. And that work really came about after spending time working on how do you really work to build a program from scratch. And I was grateful to be part of that team. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to teach and work and lead in a space that says that every solution is not the same. Every approach is not the same. Every campaign is not the same. That we honor, celebrate, and lean into the differences and distinctions of organizations. So that's just a little bit about the approach for me and the work. And I believe capacity is real. I limit the number of clients that I work with as a result of trying to do the work in a meaningful way. One of the things that makes me smile is when you asked me about this podcast and the Center for Congregations, I was like, wow, this is like a blast from the past. My work has allowed me to do partnership with the Center for Congregations in so many different ways that I think about the work that I've done with youth and funding youth ministry and teaching around faith and generosity. It's just really a great, great full circle uh, to be talking about capacity and the work that I do. So it's been a great pleasure to be with you today. So thank you. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure to have you here with us this morning. Thanks, Amy. It was good to be with you. Yeah, I very much appreciate your time, Amy. I'm glad to be with you. All right, that was our interview with Amy Laramore. Ben, any insights or takeaways from that conversation? 
one of the things that I really appreciated was her desire to call us back to our purpose as an organization. You know, she had this line where she talked about challenging leaders to name their mission statement without like Googling it or looking it up online and how frustrating it is when folks can't do that. And I think it speaks to the importance of connecting our why with our what, right? And, and by that, I mean connecting the desire to serve whomever we're trying to serve with our desire to raise funds, to do strategic planning, leadership transition, whatever. Like there has to be a, a deeper connection to the identity of the organization and the congregation. And I love that she called us back to that. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting how mission statements, you know, strategic planning can be such a formalized process and you're trying to get to a mission statement and you spend all this work and time. And in theory, a lot of that work makes sense. But then when you get down to brass tacks, does that translate into what you do day in, day out? That's one of the things that I've appreciated about working for the Center for Congregations, that our mission truly is what we do day in, day out. And it truly does guide, you know, who we are. I mean, you know, we say that we're here to strengthen Indiana congregations by helping them find and use the best resources to address their challenges and opportunities. And the reason I can remember that is because it guides how I do my work and how I think about when we interface with congregations. And so just an encouragement to you. uh, In fact, early on, I was working with a congregation and asked the pastor about their mission statement. And somewhat defensively, he said, well, it's three words and that's all we've got, but I hope that's okay. Or no, he didn't actually even say, I hope that's okay. He actually was kind of (laughs) daring me to say that was not okay. (laughs) But, you know, his point was it needs to be something that people remember, Mm. and it needs to be something that they can then determine if something is in line with what the congregation is going to do or not. And I actually applauded that. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Yeah. I also liked that she reminded us that we need to give ourselves grace or that leaders need to give themselves grace. Like recognizing all that they're having to do, all that they're having to work with, the importance of just understanding the realistic constraints on everyone's time and energy, but still recognizing when we're doing our best. I think that's important, especially right now. But even as we think about fundraising, giving, any sort of planning, just like recognizing the constraints that people are under, I think is always going to be timely. Yeah, I totally agree. And just felt like there was a call in her wisdom to step back and do less, Mm. to find space and find room. And I just think that's such an important concept that the work of congregations is so critical. Whatever your congregation's focus is, those of you who are listening, it's important. And things that are important, we tend to just focus and want to run very, very fast after but remembering that that is not sustainable, that we're talking about our whole life. uh, And it's not just about tasks and it's not just about productivity, but it's about living a life that is fulfilling because that then feeds how you do ministry, how you preach, how you interact with your community, how you take care of people in pastoral care and counseling, how you do youth or young adult ministry or children's ministry. And we often try to do those things out of a place of exhaustion as opposed to out of the abundance of our energy and the abundance of our time. It's like that classic analogy of a pitcher, that a pitcher is pretty much worthless if it doesn't get filled up first, that it's got to be filled before it can pour out. And I think that's such an apt analogy for congregational life. And I think too often we operate at a quarter full and we're only able to pour out a little bit, but getting rest, recuperation, self-care, and building that into your congregational system for your other leaders also so that you're operating out of a place of abundance and not of scarcity, that you're operating out of being full and not emptiness. 
Yeah, and as you were talking, I thought of something Amy said, and I think I've heard others iterate some version of this, but it's the idea that we're not working from home, we're actually living at work, right? And when I heard that, it was such an important shift in my thinking, because if I think of myself living at work, I think about self-care much more intentionally, to your point, Matt. I think about what does it mean for me to intentionally step away from work and really give attention and energy to the other areas of my life that are important? And what does it mean for me to give attention and energy to myself even? And so I just, I really appreciated the way that she reframed that. And I'm wondering if it landed for you similarly. Yeah, I thought that way of flipping the idea or flipping that phrase was incredibly helpful. It's one of the things that I've been struggling with. I took a pretty extended break in December and then, you know, I've realized that because I took such a long break and I had, you know, plenty of free time to do whatever I wanted at home. And then now after the new year, I'm expected to be in that same environment, but I'm expected to be productive. And it's been incredibly challenging. And so that helps frame that better as well. And it helps me understand why that's such a challenge. So maybe I need to rethink how I engage in work while I'm still at home, because we may be here for, for quite some time yet. Yeah, those are some of the things that we found important and noteworthy in the interview. And I'm sure there are a plethora of other thoughts and sayings and observations that that we could have pulled out from the conversation with Amy and Wendy. And we hope that you are sitting with something as well and that you're holding on to something that was especially meaningful to you. But since there was so much there, we don't want to even belabor this part of the conversation because we have resources to get to, right? Yep. And we'll do that next. Next up, resources. All right. So let's get into some resources. Ben, what did you find or what did you think about for resourcing from this episode? One of the things that Amy brought up that I really appreciated was this idea of succession planning. So I've got a book that is on our CRG called Next, Pastoral Succession That Works. But this book uses case studies, biblical examples, and interviews to offer fresh perspectives on clergy succession. It's written by William Vanderblomen and Warren Bird. This book includes rich insights, valuable questions, and helpful perspectives from other leaders on what you need to consider when you are going through or approaching a leadership a succession plan. And so again, I just encourage you to check it out. If your congregation is in the midst of succession or if you see succession on the horizon, this is a work you might want to start with. Again, it's called Next Pastoral Succession That Works. What do you got for us, Matt? Yeah, thanks for bringing that, Ben. I know pastoral succession can be a tricky topic. And honestly, I think a lot of congregations don't think ahead about it. And so, you know, being prepared, thinking through what needs to happen, even if it may be a number of years before it happens, that's definitely a good idea. So I actually also found a book that I thought was interesting. It's called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. Clearly, this is going to be something more for Christian congregations uh, specifically, but it really is about how we need to slow down church and recover relationality, get away from isolation, and stop running so fast after life and after ministry, and recover what it means to be congregations that are moving at a bit of a slower pace. And that just kind of gels with the theme that we pulled out throughout the interview of this invitation to slow down, recognizing all that everyone's holding. So that's very important. You know, I know that we are our book heavy today, but, you know, some days it's just like that, especially given all that we're all holding today. So I appreciate you bringing that, Matt. And did you have a, another resource that you were going to bring as well? 
Yeah, I actually have an article that will be on our resource list from Amy called Pathways to Generosity. And some of the themes that she talked about during the interview are delineated in this article. And of particular interest here is a bulleted list that obviously she'll flesh out or, you know, people listening, when they see this, they can flesh it out more. But when she's talking about generosity and talking about giving, asking the questions, why do we exist? Why does it matter? What do we aspire to do in the world? What do we aspire to accomplish in the world? And how will the world be different when we fulfill God's calling? And so asking those questions when it comes to fundraising and when it comes to planning, and then the article talks a little bit more about other aspects of building generosity in your congregation. So a really solid article and not a lengthy one, but something that I think would be helpful for just about anybody who's listening. And keeping with this theme of being helpful for those that are listening and tying in different aspects of Amy's interview, one of the things that she mentioned was the concept of adaptive leadership by Ronald Heifetz. And so I also want to bring the book, The Practice of Adaptive Leadership, Tools and Tactics for Changing Your Organization and the World. And this book is a thought-provoking work on leadership, which offers readers the tools they can use to become more effective and confident leaders. It helps unpack the ways that words, emotions, thoughts, and actions can contribute to a healthier community and unveil the way that leaders can interpret events and expand informal authority while growing their personal support network. So all those are very important to creating a, a pattern of sustained leadership in a congregation. Ron Heifetz also has a YouTube video that unpacks this idea of adaptive versus technical challenges that might be a good supplementary resource for you if you just wanted to dig more into what he has to say about leadership. This is going to provide some context on thinking about how to approach problem solving by breaking down problems into those that are adaptive and those that are technical. And once you can identify which category your challenge falls into, then you can figure out which resources you need to marshal and the best plan of attack for meeting that challenge or solving that problem. And so I just wanted to bring both that book and this video by Ron Heifetz. We also want to highlight Alid Design, which is the consulting organization that Amy is the lead consultant for. It's a specialized consulting firm that helps organizations take their performance from average to excellent, and they specialize in fund development, strategic planning, organizational development, and church-based community support. And so if you want to know more about Alid Design, we encourage you to check out their website and see if they offer services that might meet the needs of your congregation, or maybe they can be good conversation partners as you're wrestling with specific challenges and opportunities within your congregation or your community. As a reminder, we'll have a link to all of those resources in the show notes, which will be on the website, thecrg.org, which stands for the Congregational Resource Guide, T-H-E-C-R-G.org. And we'll have these resources listed in a collection on that site, and you can click and find those there. We also encourage you to like and subscribe to this podcast. That way you know when new episodes are dropped. And while you're at it, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. That is the fastest way for new listeners to discover this podcast. So if you support the work that we're doing, if you think we're giving you valuable information and connecting you with important resources and experts, just leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe. You can also reach out to us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. We'd love to hear from you, maybe thoughts about topics that we've had, resources of which you are aware, or future topics or guests that we could have in future episodes. Yes, and be sure to follow us on social media as well. That's another way that you can touch base with us and offer us feedback. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the Center for Congregations. So thanks for listening to the Center for Congregations podcast, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Take care.